We come to the um, end of this first week of the retreat. I want to speak a little bit about the fourth foundation of mindfulness. We often, well many of you will be familiar in retreats, that we, we spend a considerable amount of time speaking about the first three foundations of mindfulness, of establishing mindfulness in the body, in Vedana, in mental states and emotions. And sometimes people go away from retreat with this sort of, what was the fourth foundation? As if, you know, somehow we don't give so much attention to it. But the fourth foundation in many ways could be the first foundation of mindfulness. Because in a way, the fourth foundation of mindfulness is what gives a sense of direction to the path. It is, in a very real way, the scaffold upon which the entire path of meditative training in this tradition hangs. It's like it's a skeleton which everything else surrounds it. And it is the teaching element. You know, the first three foundations of mindfulness are very, very practical, applied dimensions of meditative training. The fourth foundation is very much more the teaching element of the path. Again, like in much of this teaching, it it looks initially like a series of lists you know, seven of this and five of this. But it's very important to unpack those lists and really have a sense of how they directly apply to our own experience. Very much in the heart of these lists and the fourth foundation of mindfulness, of course, is the Buddha's first teaching on the four ennobling truths. It is what... In a way, it's the heart of this entire path. That there is dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. Whether it is on the level of of dukkha that comes simply with being a human being, in a human body, with a human mind, subject to birth, to aging, to sickness, to death, It's simply this level of dukkha that is part of all of our lives. It's not optional. (laughs) None of us are exempt. And yet we see we can get into a whole lot of secondary dukkha around this experience of being a vulnerable human being in a fragile life. There is the dukkha that comes with change in our reactions to change. We know intellectually, of course, everything moves, nothing stands still, that we all stand on shifting sands. And yet here too, we can add a whole other layer of pain upon dukkha, upon the reality of change. Some things don't last long enough. Some things last too long. We forget in the midst of things lasting that this too is actually subject to change and impermanence. 
There is a dukkha found in the world, the, the simple reality of the world of conditions, that everything we experience, see, feel, uh, think, is subject to conditions. This entire world is born of a matrix. Everything that can be experienced is a matrix of process and conditions that are essentially unstable, not, cannot be relied upon for refuge. So as the Buddha put it in the Four Noble Truths, dukkha is to be understood. Dukkha is to be understood. And then in terms of the emotional, psychological distress we experience, the afflictions that we can experience in our hearts, our minds, he says the causes of this distress need to be not only understood, but to be relinquished. It is an invitation, an invitation to look at how we step out of cycles of distress. The end of distress is to be realized. It is to be realized. And the Buddha put this very, very firmly. You know, this third ennobling truth is not something reserved for a special elite. It was really the heart of the Buddha's teaching, the possibility of the cessation of dukkha, the cessation of distress, the cultivation, the realization of the awakened heart, the awakened mind, and the fourth ennobling truth of the path to be cultivated, the path to be walked, the path to be brought into being. So in a way, this four, these four ennobling truths really lay the ground, they lay the foundations of our practice. But I'm sure we have all experienced that there is a certain tension involved in waking up. We experience this through our days, don't we? You, you might come into a sitting, you know, with the intention, of course, to be awake and present, and then you find yourself meeting the, the tide of one's own psychological and emotional habits, you know, that, oh, you know, I just slip into sloth, or, you know, I'm lost in proliferation. We become forgetful. There's a tension in waking up when our intentionality is meeting our own particular package of tendencies and habits and inclinations. It's important to recognize that that tension does not have to be a negative tension. For many people in practice, it's turned into a negative tension. I shouldn't be experiencing this. When will this go away? You know, how do I get rid of this? How do I overcome this? It's turned into a negative tension. But in reality, I think that tension is intrinsic, is intrinsic to the path. And it's, it ha- can also be, and is meant to be, a place of investigation. Then it is a creative tension. How do I actually approach this which seems to kind of, these habit patterns which seem to hold me in their grip? It's a place where we cultivate what are called the seven factors of awakening. So I think when, we, when this tension is, is really acknowledged in the path, not a negative tension, but it's there. Um, when our minds are simply not obedient to our wishes. 
It is where the Buddha puts side by side in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. First, there are the hindrances. We know them. Sloth and torpor, craving for sensual pleasure, restlessness and worry, aversion, doubt. We know these. These are kind of like the primary core emotional elements in all of our emotional storms, in our psychological storms. We see those core tendencies operating. So alongside the hindrance factors in the, in, in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha actually puts their antidotes. They're antidotes to the hindrances, which is actually what is cultivated, which is brought into being the seven factors of awakening beginning with mindfulness, but also acknowledging that mindfulness is not attitudinally neutral, that mindfulness essentially holds an attitude of befriending, of kindness within it. The factor of investigation to really begin to understand what is actually going on, to really begin to understand this matrix of process and conditions that brings about our experience of the moment. Again, taking the sense of bewilderment out, this confusion out. Ah, this is born of this. When these conditions are present, ah, It is the climate in which aversion can be born, or resistance, or judgment, or forcing, or craving. When this is not there, neither is that. It is starting to understand this whole world of process and conditions, to investigate that, not on a thought level just, but increasingly on a very experiential level, seeing the constructions begin to arise and also how they can simply fall apart. Investigation, energy being one of the factors of awakening. Energy. And, you know, I, I, I know sometimes people say they don't feel like they have enough energy to do this. Um, but what we do see is actually, a more important question is how do we use the energy we have? I think we can be fairly sure that there's very little in the world that is so exhausting and debilitating as proliferation and obsession, even when it's pleasant. Joy is one of the factors of awakening. Do we bring a joyful attitude? Do we take the moments in our day to cultivate that sense of joy, of appreciation, being touched through our eyes, our ears, by that which is lovely, spacious, well? Do we bring that appreciation to what is well in the body, what is well in our actions during the day? To bring that sense of jo- taking joy and underta- finding joy in undertaking the wholesome and the liberating. Calmness is one of the factors of awakening. But again, I think so important to turn calmness from a state, a noun, into a verb, into a verb, calming, calming as a relational quality. We're calming the formations, calming the agitation, calming the proliferation. If we put calmness always into this noun state, you know, it, it, we create this discrepancy 
between what we are experiencing and what we want to be experiencing. And that discrepancy is so frustrating. So to turn calming into a verb, calming the formations, the formations of mental states, the formations of contractedness, the formations of clinging, calming them. Concentration is one of the factors of awakening, to learn how to be collected, how to be gathered, how to be focused and present in this moment, and then there is equanimity. This very deep willingness on one level to be equally near all things, equally near the pleasant and the unpleasant, the lovely, the unlovely, cultivating within oneself that quality of of poise. And in its deepest sense, of course, equanimity is liberation. It is the blowing out of the fires of, of craving, of ill will, of delusion. In the fourth foundation of mindfulness, we see this listing of what's called the five aggregates. Well, that sounds quite remote to us, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, the five aggregates. It is really a contemplation of this whole notion of self. Because this is where we investigate in body, in feeling, in perceptions, in tendencies, in consciousness. We start to see that these are the building blocks upon which, when there is identification, selfing or the selfing of the moment is actually born. So we start to contemplate that in this foundation of mindfulness to really look that this whole notion of me, of I, of self, is also a process. That it is a process that arises in relationship to other processes. If there is a process of clinging, of holding to the body, then I am the sufferer, I am in pain, I am old, I am ill. If there is a clinging to perceptions, we form a selfing of the moment upon which craving and aversion is built. I like, I don't like. We see the clinging that arises in terms of tendencies, of feelings, and of consciousness. So this is actually the kind of ground of our investigation. Where else would it be? Where else would it be? It's simply being sensitive, having the mindfulness to actually see this process of constructing, of building, and of its falling away a thousand, ten thousand times sometimes in a single day. You know, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm irritated, I'm very friendly, you know, I'm delighted, I'm elated. To really have the sense of how that wind of selfing moves through our day and how this very wind of selfing is the place where much of our psychological, emotional distress is actually born. Within the fourth foundation of mindfulness, we see this list of the six sense spaces. This is where we are mindful. In the body, in our eyes, in our ears, in smelling, tasting, touching, and in the sense door of the mind. 
I often used to feel a little bit puzzled about why this particular listing had such prominence in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. But then you see this is in the sense doors, this is where our world begins to be born. The world enters in, the sights, the sounds, the taste, the touch, the thoughts arise. The world enters in, and of course through the sense doors, our own world of reactivity, of habit patterns, also flows out. My own sense in listing the six sense doors in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, it's really, really emphasizing to the, the encouragement to come to the place where our world of the moment begins to be constructed. And that is in the sights, the sounds, the taste, the touch, in that moment of contact, of the meeting of the sense door with the sense object and the knowing of it, this is our ground for beginning to build my world of the moment. You know, this is pleasant or unpleasant or neither. I like, I don't like, I disappear. There's a clinging, there's a becoming. The continuum that begins to happen from that moment of contact. But there's also another continuum that can begin to happen from that moment of contact when there is mindfulness there. It's about not clinging. It is about being wholeheartedly present. It is about knowing a sound is a sound, a sight is a sight, a sensation is a sensation, a thought is a thought, and the non-building of a world in that moment. It is, none of this is particularly sort of, it's not a theoretical investigation but it is so important and I, I think so useful to have the kind of ground known, acknowledged, understood, absorbed of the fourth foundation of mindfulness because this is the ground upon which we practice. Now the, the fourth foundation of mindfulness often translated as the investigation of the dhammas, the investigation of phenomena. Now I think that most of us in the insight meditation teacher body would include in this fourth foundation of mindfulness the cognitive elements of our of our mental processes, the, the thought element. And the Buddha emphasizes so strongly, saying that all experiences led by mind, preceded by mind, made by mind. With our mind, we make the world. And all that I am, with our thought, all that I am arises with our thoughts. All that I am arises with our thoughts. Acknowledging that, coming to really contemplate the cognitive element of our experience because it holds such power. You know, what I think often is what I become, if that is clung to. What I think about you becomes my reality of you. What I think about my meditation experience becomes my reality if it is clung to. All experience is led by mind made by mind, preceded by mind, to be mindful of our thoughts with care. I am, you are. 
to be able to know a thought as a thought, to know the relationship between what was spoken about yesterday, mind states and cognitive processes. Because we certainly see that the bigger the mind state is, the more thoughts we have. The bigger the mind state, particularly the unskillful, is the bigger the story that we start to have. So what are the thoughts that afflict us? It's not that this practice is anti-thought. It's certainly not anti-thought. You know, we actually need thoughts to navigate through this life. But we start to really be interested in what are the thoughts that actually afflict us, that cause distress. And we see that our thoughts are often ways, I mean, there's whole levels of thoughts that are creative, they are reflective, they are investigative, they are so helpful, so skillful. Some of our thoughts are simply skillful means to navigate through our day. You need a thought or two to get in here but only one or two. The rest is really in the realm of the extras. So what are the thoughts that, are, that afflict us? The thoughts that are afflict us are the thoughts that are really resting upon tendencies, the tendency of craving, the I need more thoughts, you know, the I need more, the not enough thoughts. I need more of this, I need more of that, I need to rearrange this, I need to rearrange that. We can think a lot about the I need thoughts. Some of the thoughts that afflict us are very much aversion-based. You know, I don't like, I don't want, I don't, I'm critical of you, I'm critical of myself, I'm critical of my experience. Some of the thoughts that afflict us are fear, anxiety-based thoughts. What if, what if, what if my whole retreat is a disaster by my standards? You know, what if I don't get the last potato? You know, what if my knee pain gets worse? You know, the whole anxiety-based thinking, the view-based thinking, the view-based cognitive processes, you know, the, the world is like this, you are like that, you know, people are like this, you know, meditation is like that. And then, of course, the really big one is the self, self-based proliferation. You know, I'm not good enough. I should be like this. Um, I am like this. This is who I am. So the fourth foundation of mindfulness includes very much being mindful of the thoughts, taking care, knowing thoughts do not have an independent self-existence. That if proliferation happens, it is because on some level, proliferation is being practiced. Proliferation is being fed or nourished on some level, often by these emotional themes that we're not always so aware of. Where do we find them? In the body. There's a lot of clues. Sometimes in the body. Sometimes in the repetitive themes. We start to take care of proliferation knowing that it simply conceals. That proliferation conceals the calmness, the serenity, the contentment that is possible for us. I think there's a very, very short list, I think, that it is really helpful to, to bring into our day because it is a process that governs experience. To be mindful, I'll just make the list. Contact, feeling, craving, grasping, becoming. 
contact, feeling, craving, grasping, becoming. This is a continuum to be mindful of. And the closer we get to these moments of contact, the sense door, the sensing information, the more possibilities do we have of discovering what has been concealed. The mindfulness, the stillness, the calmness, the spaciousness that is available in every moment. So that was all I wanted to talk about this morning. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.